Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant. So I know for those of you that are parents, you'd reminisce with this, but we would do just about anything for our kids, especially to ensure that they're safe and that they know that they're loved. Um, I have an opportunity to do something for my oldest daughter this coming week. Can't wait. She uh, was in a car accident a few weeks ago, and one of the cars that we have that actually has AC was that one, and she got plastered, and it's been out of commission for a while, and so she had to take a car back to college that doesn't have AC, working AC, and she's in Phoenix. So Yeah, okay, so you all know. Uh, So now that the other car is finally fixed and I got word I get to pick it up this coming week, I'm going to drive it out to her on Thursday, drop it off, pick up the car that doesn't have AC, turn around and drive it back. And I can't wait. That seven-hour drive to Phoenix and that seven-hour drive back is going to be such a blast. But on trips like that, it's when I'm really thankful for... Have you ever seen those little blue signs that tell you next rest stop or next gas station, 40 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles... People like me really need those because I love to drive the car till it's almost empty before I actually finally stop and get gas. That's just, I don't know why. Is that a man thing? It's just, you're like, it's stupid. That goes right along with man. Um, Yes. So I'm looking for those little blue signs and I thought to myself, wow, that is also very reminiscent of something that the Lord God does for us. He puts up these little blue signs saying, hey, the end is coming. Um, Repent. Follow me now or else you're going to run out of gas and die of exhaustion. This morning we're at Revelation chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 9, and this is where God gives mankind those little blue signs. This is your last chance to repent. This is it. This is your last rest stop. And the judgments that we're about to read about are going to seem a bit brutal, but I'm going to show you why they're justified in just a moment. Let's start with the passage at hand. We're in Romans 16, or I'm sorry, Romans Revelation, welcome to the New Covenant. Revelation chapter 16. I would have wanted to do the entire chapter um, in one sitting, but we're humans that are bound by time, so we are going to make it really through about the first nine verses, and then we'll do verses 10 through 21 uh, next week. So if you would, would you mind or not mind standing with me? And then we're going to read Revelation 16 verses 1 through 9 together. John writes, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Thanks, gang. Like I said, I'd love to have done this in one sitting, 
Um, but we don't have the time to be able to do that together. So what we're doing is we're breaking down Revelation 16, 1 through 9, which here the first four bowl judgments are all poured out on mankind. And then in Revelation 10, or 16, 10 through 21, it's the last three bowl judgments, and those are all poured out on the beast, who we know as the Antichrist. They're going to be poured out upon his kingdom. We're going to see his kingdom come down. Uh, for this morning... The simple thesis statement or our big idea is follow Jesus now or we'll have to face future judgment. Follow Jesus now or face future judgment. Now I want to pause for a second because what we just read, again, it sounds brutal. I have had people that are not believers go through the book of Revelation. I've asked them to read through it before and then they come back to me and go, God's not fair. The things that he does to people, the judgments that he pours out upon them, they're not fair. They just seem unjust for a little bit of sin. Let me take you through 6,000 years of human history. Approximately 6,000 years ago, God spoke the universe into existence. In a literal six days, he made all that exists, including mankind. When he originally created Adam and Eve, he gave them the perfect place to live he gave them the perfect relationship with him. He gave them the perfect relationship with each other. All of that was at the beginning of creation. But instead of Adam and Eve being grateful, they were discontent. And they bit on uh, the bait of what I would call pride that Satan offered, which was to be like God instead of bowing down and worshiping God. From that point forward, mankind plunged headlong into destruction and death. Think about the first murder Cain got jealous, and so he killed Abel. From there, we read about sin after sin. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, the world had become so wicked and so evil that God said, I'm going to wipe them all out. All but eight people are going to get on an ark, and they're going to be wiped out. Well, even after that, and they start over, wickedness continues to run rampant. You begin to see people groups rising up like the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Well, how bad were they? Well, they worshiped false gods. Uh, they actually believed that we came from animals. Evolution did not start with Darwin, but it actually started even probably before the time of the Egyptians, which is why a lot of their gods are in the forms of animals. Then they began to take babies and they would dash them against the rocks, according to Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Assyrians and the Babylonians would smash them against the rocks if they didn't want those babies or if they wanted to sacrifice them to a god. We're going to study through the book of Daniel starting in the month of January. I can't wait. And you're going to find out that the Babylonians during the time of Daniel would take their young men and they would physically castrate them. And they actually had chiefs over them. They turned them into eunuchs and they had chiefs over the eunuchs. They would often turn many of them into little girls or dress them up as little girls and treat them as such. And if you don't notice, much of that same stuff is happening in our society today. But now instead of bashing them against rocks, we have little babies that are killed inside what should be the safest place of all, inside mama's womb. We are taking boys and turning them into girls and vice versa. And all the while, we're playing God. And God says, I will only put up with you playing God for so long. Remember, that was the beginning of our downfall. Adam and Eve, instead of worshiping God, wanted to be God. What do we see happening in our society today? Instead of people bowing down and worshiping God, they have decided that they want to be God. And all of our sin stems from misplaced worship. It really comes from that idea that we spoke of last week of narcissism or self-worship. But God is so good. 
instead of leaving us in the mess that we have found ourselves in, in the mess that we have just followed after from generations past. God said, I love you so much that I'm gonna take upon a body, I'm gonna come to earth, I'm gonna die for you, and I'm gonna prove to you that I'm king of kings and lord of lords by not only rising from the dead, but from fulfilling 351 extremely specific Bible prophecies. I'm gonna tell you exactly what family line I'm gonna come through. I'm gonna come through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, then Jesse, then Judah, then David, all the way down to the, the second Joseph. I'm going to come to you through a virgin. I'm going to be born in the town of Bethlehem, specifically Bethlehem Ephratah. I'm going to be born in meager circumstances. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to have my hands and my feet pierced, which was prophesied a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. And then my soul will not see decay. I will rise again from the dead, exactly what Jesus did. We see all of that, and yet people still rejected him. And even today, people still reject him. I'm hoping just from that brief flyover of 6,000 years of human history, you can begin to see why the judgments that we're about to take a look at are completely deserved. That God is completely just in his judgments. Let's go back to our passage. Are we ready to dive in? Revelation chapter 16 verse 1. He says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The Greek word for loud there is the word megos. It's used 11 times just in chapter 16. It's used in connections with like the great heat in verse 9, the great river in verse 12, the great earthquake in verse 18, those great hailstones that are talked about in verse 21. It's used over and over again, and it's God's way of saying, this is really important, pay attention, don't miss this. Now again, I know we are at different places when it comes to how we think things are going to pan out in the end times. I personally think we won't be here for any of these judgments. And I've shared with you numerous reasons why I don't think we'll be here for these judgments. One, it says that we will be freed from wrath. We already know we're going to be freed from the wrath of hell, but it looks like we're going to be freed from God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. So I don't think that we'll be here. My other reasoning for thinking that we won't be here is that starting in Revelation chapter 4, all the way through the midpoint of Revelation chapter 19, the word ecclesia or church is gone completely. So the church is never mentioned during the time of the great seven-year tribulation. And that's a lot of chapters dedicated to scripture with not one mention of the church. So I don't think we're here. Whether we're here or not, we don't want people to have to experience what's going to happen at the bowl judgments. And as you'll notice, the bowl judgments and the things that are going to happen are for those that we, we look at in verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Specifically for those that were looking for comfort in this life, I don't want to go against the flow. I don't want to speak up against things that are going to get me in trouble. I don't want to speak up against things that are going to get me harmed. I don't want to speak up against things that could get me killed. I'm taking the mark. I want the comfort. I want to be able to buy, sell, trade. They're now trading their comfort for the ultimate in pain. There are these oozing, cankerous sores that are going to be all over their body and that's just a taste of what the lake of fire is going to be like and all the while god is going to use that so that people might fall down on their knees repent and cry out to him we'll find out what the result is in a minute look at verse three the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea remember the first judgment in egypt 
In Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 24, the first of 10 was that water was turning into blood. The second trumpet judgment in Revelation chapter 8 has a third of the sea life getting killed from it turning into blood. Now I want you to picture this. Now that we're at the bowl judgments, we're at the fourth, uh, I'm sorry, the second bowl judgment, everything in the sea is going to die. Picture this. Every whale, every orca, every shark, every manta ray, every stingray, every fish, every shrimp, every crab, every lobster, they all die and then come to the surface and become this nasty stench. This is not science fiction. This is what's going to happen to the earth when God begins to pour out his judgments. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Well, look at verses 4 through 7. It goes on, The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So there goes all the fresh water. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. It's ironic that those that rejected the life-giving blood of Jesus now get the death-giving blood of the judgment. But notice the theme throughout. Even the angels say so. God is totally just in his judgments. He's giving people exactly what they've earned. Now this is where I want to stop and give you a moment of encouragement. Are any of y'all glad when you woke up this morning that you could say to yourself and praise the Lord that you don't get what you deserve? I am so thankful that I don't get what I've earned. Because according to scripture, what I have earned is death, it's destruction, it's hell. But instead I get something that I haven't earned. It's something that Jesus did for me. And that is eternal life. Now while again, it seems like these judgments are brutal. And while it seems like it wouldn't bring a lot of hope to us, I would hope that as believers in Jesus, it does bring you a lot of hope, knowing that evil's not going to run rampant forever. Knowing that a lot of the things that are happening around you aren't going to go on forever. God is going to say, enough is enough. I've given you all the little blue signs. I've told you 100 miles. I've told you 50 miles. I've told you 40 miles. Time's up. My patience has run out. But man, God's patience has been long. I tell you what, if I was God, I would have been wiped out a long time ago. But I'm thankful that God doesn't give up, especially on people like myself. Well, in verse 8, it says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. If you go back to the trumpet judgments, the fourth trumpet judgment did something else. It darkened the sun. But the fourth bowl judgment, it scorches people. It intensifies its heat. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Is God going to, in some way, shape, or form, begin to decimate the ozone layer so that UV rays begin to burn people? I don't know, but I know that they're going to have harmful, painful, cankerous sores all over their bodies. On top of that, they're going to be getting scorched by the sun's rays. They're going to have sunburn like you've never had a sunburn, blisters all over their body. And on top of all of that, there's no fresh water to go and refresh oneself. You can't deal with the oozing, cankerous, probably becoming infectious sores. You can't drink anything in the midst of intense heat. And where some repented during the earthquake in Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, here, nobody repents. And we even see that play out in our culture. Let me just give you a couple of examples from more modern times. 
Do any of you all remember where you were at during 9-11 when the planes hit the Twin Towers? Do any of you all remember what happened to church attendance shortly after that? It went up quite a bit. Within three months, it plummeted. And it was actually lower than what it was before 9-11 happened. How many of you all remember the great earthquake that caused that huge tsunami in Asia? For a while, people began to question. Within a month, church attendance dropped again. Then there was the worldwide pandemic of COVID, where a lot of people were wondering, is this disease going to come my way and kill me? And people began to question, because supposedly death could have been at their doorstep. It decimated church attendance, and it has continued to do so since today. Now, while I'm all for technology, and while I'm all for people being able to worship online if they can't make it here, I want to give us a huge encouragement. Come to church together, no matter what happens. That is the way we are wired. That is the way God made us. We cannot fulfill the one another's of Scripture. We cannot encourage one another. We cannot sharpen one another. We cannot strengthen one another. We can't get face-to-face and give physical contact to one another without being together. You need to be together a minimum of once a week. That's not coming from your pastor, so don't yell at me. That's coming straight from Scripture. That's coming straight from the Word of God. God set aside a day that we are supposed to come together and we are supposed to worship. And did you know that we're supposed to do that no matter what? Come and worship Jesus together with other believers no matter what. Look at verse 9. I want to show you something that is quite interesting where I would think that people who knew that God was bringing these plagues would stop and cry out to him, Lord, please forgive me. I'm getting what I deserve. We find the exact opposite. Listen to this. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. It's interesting that the ESV and multiple other translations translate this cursed. The actual word that's used there is blasphemed. They are blaspheming the word or the name of God. What does blaspheme mean? It means to speak evil of or to revile one's name. They are speaking evil or reviling God's name. We are now at a point where people are blaspheming God's name. It's no longer that they're just indifferent. It's no longer you guys just go do your thing. But now they are blaspheming God's name. You all know by now I'm a born and raised San Diego boy. Don't hold that against me. Love me anyways. But in San Diego, years and years ago, over a decade ago, I was a youth pastor. And I was a youth pastor for about a decade. And we would do everything we could to raise up teenagers that loved Jesus, knew his word, and went out and spread his word. But many of them went to a college called San Diego State University. San Diego State University, the home of the Aztecs, got ranked the number one party school in the nation. They battled back and forth with the University of Miami. What a great battle to have, right? But not only was I considered about their morality being in an environment like that, I was concerned with their theology and their intellectualism because they were all required, one of the prerequisite classes that they had to take was a philosophy class. And in that philosophy class, the very first book that they had to read was a book called The God Delusion by a man by the name of Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is the top, considered the top atheist in the world today. He teamed up with three other men by the name of Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and Daniel Dennett, and they became a part of a group called the Four Horsemen of the New Atheism. And they completely mocked Jesus and everything that he stood for. 
In his book, The God Delusion, in one of his opening paragraphs, he makes very clear that this book is a full frontal assault on the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. Listen to that again. This book is written as a full frontal assault on the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. This is what our students were having to read and having to get indoctrinated with. I love Mr. Dawkins, and I pray that he would come to know Jesus. But he also needs to know that there is great judgment that is awaiting him for the money that he has made off of a book like that. And he is only one of thousands, literally, that are writing and saying the very things that he is saying. Which really leads us to the only lesson that we're going to take a look at today together from this passage, and that is this, that rejecting Jesus to follow the crowd will always lead to harmful and painful consequences. Now, I don't mean to take this analogy too far at all, but in Revelation 16, we saw people that got physical, cankerous sores, painful oozing sores that were all over their bodies, that were causing them great harm, and eventually would bring about their death. Spiritually speaking, there are people all around us that have cankerous and oozing sores and don't even know where it's coming from. And we have the great privilege of telling them, if you will simply repent and follow Jesus, that much of this pain that we have brought upon ourselves can be alleviated. Not that things are going to go great, not that things are going to go well, not that you're suddenly going to have a bunch of money in your bank account, your marriage will suddenly get better, your kids will finally turn around and stop running away from the Lord. None of those are, are any blanket promises. We don't get any of those in Scripture. The promises that we do get is that he will use even events like that to make us more like Jesus, and one day we will get to be in heaven with him where the rewards that we will get there will far outweigh anything that will ever be given on this planet. Now listen, there's a reason why I titled this Sunday the Super Bowls of Wrath. The NFL football season starts this Thursday and Sunday. And many of you are going to have teams that you're going to root for on Thursday or on Sunday that are going to lose. That's just the way it goes. But I have good news for you this morning. You have a king. You have a quarterback. You have a coach that can't lose. And that's who we come together and we get to worship this morning. If we choose to go against what the king says if we choose to go against the one that rules and reigns, if we choose to go against him, it will always lead to painful and harmful consequences. Which leads me to just a couple of really practical applicational questions for this morning. And I'm going to dive into a couple really practical things that we can commit to doing that are going to help us in our walk with Jesus. Here's the first question. It's not directed at you. It's directed at us. This is a question for all of us. Is there anything in our lives that we've given more allegiance to than Jesus? Maybe even unintentionally. It could be your job. It could be a preoccupation with the way we look. It could be something sexual. It could be money. It could even be family. While some of those things that I just mentioned in and of themselves are not bad, those in and of themselves may not be evil. They can become something that we worship and taking our focus off of Jesus. Which leads me to our second question. What are some steps that we need to take to give our full allegiance to Jesus? That's where I'm praying that this next part is helpful. 
How do we treasure Jesus above all else? Let me give you three things that hopefully you can walk away with this morning so we don't find ourselves acting like the very people that we just read about in Revelation 16, 1 to 9. But the first thing I'm going to ask New Covenant Church to do, each of us together uh, as a body of Christ, is would you commit the first hour of your day to prayer and time in God's Word? You may be thinking, I can't do an hour. I can barely sit still for five minutes. How many of you ever watch TV shows? Did you know they're an hour? Almost always. It's about 40 minutes of show and 20 minutes of ads. Most shows are about an hour. How many of y'all have ever been, been, be honest, how many of y'all have ever binge watched something before? You watch like three, four, five, come on, honesty, you watch like three, four, five in a row, all of a sudden you realize half the day has gone by, and you're like, whoa, where did the time go? I didn't even notice. Listen, if we can do that, we can be in God's word. We could spend the first hour in God's word. Let me show you how. Even if you just use this acrostic that we're about to take a look at when it comes to praying, this is a good reminder for me. I have a tendency to treat Jesus like my celestial Santa Claus. Hey, Jesus, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do for me. Here's all the good things that I want to happen. I have to stop and remember this. Praise God for who he is and what he's done. Just stop there. What if we just started the first hour of our day with praising God for his goodness, praising God for his greatness? Lord, thank you that you made everything. You made the heavens, the earth, the beautiful things that are on the earth, the sea and all the things that are in the sea. You made me. Thank you for giving me a body that can get up and worship you. Thank you for giving me a body that can eat food. I praise you for giving me food. I praise you that I had a home that I got to wake up in this morning. I praise you that I had a pillow to lift my head up off of this morning. I praise you that you gave me feet to get up and walk with this morning. But now... Lord, I need to stop and repent of all the areas I fall short, of all the areas that I'm not you, of all the areas that I don't reflect you. And this is where I would ask us to be extremely specific. No blanket, Lord, forgive me of my sin. But what if you begin to actually say out loud the sins that you committed? That really brings something to the heart. Lord, forgive me for lusting this morning. Lord, forgive me for being greedy this week. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for fudging on my taxes. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for not telling that neighbor about Jesus yesterday when you gave me a prime opportunity. And begin to say the name of that person that you didn't share Jesus with out loud. And feel the sting of sin. And you may be thinking, why would I want to do that? Because when I actually feel the sting of sin, when I actually begin to feel the weight of my sin, it's then that I begin to grasp the grace and the mercy and the love and the goodness of Jesus and what he took upon himself for all the nasty things that I've ever done. Now, I want you to picture that there are 8 billion people on our planet right now, and Jesus took, absorbed the wrath for the sin of all of those people, as well as all the people that have ever existed before the 8 billion that are currently on the planet right now. Then you can finally move on to the A. Ask him to meet the needs that you have as well as the needs of others. And then the why in pray, in pray is yield to whatever his word says. Now I want to ask you, how many of you all have ever picked up your Bible, you spent time in it, and you came across something that you just didn't like? Wow, you all are better people than me. I mean, I pick up my Bible and I'm just like, I don't like that. Love my, love my enemy? Nah, no thanks. Go share the gospel with unloving people? Yeah, I'd rather not, Lord. Yeah, 
treat teenage girls that live in my home or my wife with kindness and grace and mercy, even when they're snippy at me? No, I'd rather yell. Don't respond to people that send you nasty emails? Yep. Don't, I, I, I'm not supposed to respond to every person that says something nasty about me on Instagram or Facebook? Yep. Okay, I don't, I don't like, okay, it doesn't say that specifically in Scripture, but we're supposed to bless those that persecute us. We're supposed to do good to those that even try to lavish evil upon us. And when I read that kind of stuff, look, man, I'm your pastor, I'll be honest. I don't like it. I mean, the man side of me not only says drive your car till you run out of gas, but throat punch some people so they just can't talk anymore. That, that's the man side. Then the spirit kicks in and goes, wait a minute, it's not about you. It's not about what you want to do. It's about Jesus being made known wherever you go. And I have discovered that throat punching doesn't bring a lot of people to Jesus. <laughs> well, there's a second thing that I'm going to ask you to do. I know you just want to have one more thing to read, but what we're going to be studying together on Wednesday nights is called The Church in Babylon that uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer uh, has published. Even if you're not going to take that course, it's worth getting your hands on because it will show you how to live as a believer that's living in a Babylonian society. How do we bring the good news of hope and redemption to those that are considering or have had an abortion or maybe even to an abortion doctor? How do we speak into the lives of those that are struggling with same-sex attraction or those that are looking at a gender reassignment surgery? How do we speak the gospel into the lives of those folks? What about men or women that are addicted to things like pornography or drugs or alcohol? How do we bring the gospel to those folks' lives? How do we bring the gospel into the lives of people that are constant gossips or greedy? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that God has forgiven us greatly. And he who has been forgiven much is going to go out and love much. And that's why I asked you, back with number two, when it comes to repenting of your sin, to actually say your sin out loud so that we can recognize that we are also just beggars desperately in need of Jesus that have found bread and we're just leading other beggars to the source. And here's the third thing. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together as believers a minimum of once a week. I'd love to have you here every Sunday and I'd love to have you here every Wednesday as we gather together and we continue to grow and we continue to get strengthened. And that's because we need each other. I'm going to remind you of how when you watch things like National Geographic, the lion goes and kills its prey. Y'all remember who he goes after? You see this herd of gazelle or whatever it is that are out frolicking through the field and there's a hundred of them, but then you've got one that decided to wander off. And whether it be that it just got isolated or it's weak or it's sick, that's who the lion or the leopard almost always goes after. Satan uses a very similar strategy. You want to open yourself up to attack? Just isolate. You want to open yourself up to attack? Just become spiritually weak and anemic by never being in the word. Let's go to the positive note. There's strength when we are together. We can catch each other's blind sides. We can catch each other's downfalls. We can encourage each other where we're doing well. We can pray for each other for strength and encouragement. We can sharpen each other in our study of the word. What a blessing it is to get to be together and to learn from each other throughout the week, to grow from each other throughout the week. We should continue to gather together. I think I've shared this with you before, 
But did you know that you're going to be together forever in eternity? Some of you are like, great, so much for the encouragement. Yeah, sorry, introverts, it won't be that bad when you get to heaven. All the nuances that people have won't be there. The things that annoy you now won't annoy you when you get there. You know why? Because we are going to be so laser focused on the goodness, the glory, and the majesty of Jesus that we're not going to recognize things that might bother us. On top of all that, I think our annoyances are going to go away. I've had people ask me, well, what's that going to be like? If people aren't going to annoy me anymore, and I'm an introvert, and I just like to be by myself, how's that all going to work out? Well, like I've mentioned before, I haven't been there yet. When I get there, I'll let you know. Well, I won't be able to do that. So you'll just have to wait and find out. So whoever gets there first, you'll get to experience it first. But I can't wait. Anybody looking forward to just being with Jesus? I can't wait for that day. Because many of the things that we just looked at in Revelation 16 and we will continue to look at in 16, 17, and all the way up through 19 are going to be done away with. God is going to vanquish evil. He's going to cast Satan. He's going to cast the Antichrist. He's going to cast the false prophet and everybody that's evil into the lake of fire. And then we're going to get to enjoy eternity with him forever in heaven. What a glorious day and what a glorious eternity that is going to be. And we'll never have to worry about being sick again. We'll never have to worry about being annoyed again. We'll never have to worry about disease again. We'll never have to worry about death again. What a great and awesome time that is going to be. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you, and again, we just praise you as the King. We praise you as Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you made all things. And Lord, you even chose to make us. And Lord, even after you made us, and we didn't find what you gave us good enough, and we sought after more, you still came after us, even in our mess. You still continued to put up those signs, drawing us to yourself. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we get to be a part of your family when we don't deserve it. Lord, we love you, we honor you, we praise you, and we want to bring you glory, not only this morning, but in all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Gang, before you leave, just a note, on the back of your sermon notes, there's always going to be about four or five questions that our small groups use, you can use in your families, you can use them as an individual just to grow uh, deeper in your understanding of the book of Revelation, but I would like to ask that we look at the fourth question, the last one, before I send you out of here today. And it simply asks this, what can you do this week to help move at least one unsaved person one step closer to trusting Jesus so they don't have to face the horrors of the bull judgments or even worse, the lake of fire? Think of that person. Be praying for that person even starting now. Ask God to give you boldness. Ask God to give you wisdom and clarity as you share the gospel with at least one person this week that you invite to know Jesus. Gang, let's go. Let's make disciples. Let's go give Albuquerque Jesus. And let's watch our king win. Amen? All right, gang, have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.